I don't, maybe I already was introduced, but I'm a RUF campus minister at Anderson University. Yeah, I actually was. I can't remember things very, very well. I'm getting old too, senile. Uh, but I've been uh, able to worship here for many, many years as we've traveled down. It's been a blessing for us to, to be able to actually have our college students stay, our guys stay here, our girls stay uh, at another location. Then we come together here, and I get to use a, I love to cook. And this is my favorite kitchen that I've ever cooked in. I love it. So uh, I appreciate the opportunity to do that. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. So if you could turn to Matthew chapter 4. And I'm going to read uh, 4.13. Actually... Uh, I'm going to read 3.13. I've been messing you up all morning. I'm sorry about that. I've told her like three different passages that we've been at. She's got her, you know, device all set up, and I'm preaching off an iPad. And uh, I've just started doing that. If technology, if it, if it messes up, I, I have Bill McCutcheon to be able to just, I can hit one of his sermons, and I'm going to put him on. Just kidding. <laughs> can work that way, too. But I'm going to be uh, reading about two stories um, of Christ. It's the story of his baptism and the story of his being tempted by the Satan. And um, those stories of Christ make up the story of the gospel. Those stories of Christ make up your story. And so as we look into the particulars of his story about his baptism and his story of his temptation, we want to ask the question, how does that fit into the story of stories? How does that fit into our story? Um, today. I'm going to read both those stories, and yet we're going to talk primarily about the first, his baptism, and what that means for us. You guys use the ESV, and since I had a different version, let me go to that. Okay. Matthew 3, 13 through 4. Um, it says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That, that's one of the greatest, like, understatements of the scriptures, right? For 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. That's a pretty big understatement. And the tempter came, and he said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you, if you will but fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve only him. This is the story that's before us, or the stories that are before us. And when I've kind of thought through the baptism of Christ in the past, I 
I got caught up in the details a lot and like, but kind of missed the big picture. And I was talking to one of my students, an old student that graduated. He's living in Afghanistan at the moment. And uh, this was a couple of weeks ago. And he was on the phone with his mom, not while I was talking to him, but that, you know, talking to him about that story. And he was on the phone with his mom, and his mom was really frantic. And she's like, he's like, she's like, ah, I keep losing my keys all week long, and I, I can't find things. I misplace everything. And she just goes on and on. And finally, Dustin says, well, mom, what are you, what are you looking for? She said, my phone, my cell phone. And he's like, didn't you call me from your cell phone? And she's like, oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> And uh, what's interesting is a lot of times we're, in, we're right around circumstances and things and right up on them that we don't really see what God is using them for. You know, all these circumstances are in our life, and we just miss the Father's business. What's he doing? And what's he using these circumstances for? And we're just all frantic about the things, and we're caught up in our own stories and, and our own problems and trying to fix the, you know, the, the morning's fight with your, with your husband or wife or trying to you know, fix all that or whatever, and, and we make it all about us, and we don't step away and say, what is God trying to do and use these circumstances for? We even come to Scripture, we do the same thing with the Word. We, we jump into the detail, and I've jumped into the detail of J- Jesus' baptism and all the things that happened in the story, and I kind of miss the picture sometimes of what is the story there for? What is that story, why is it part of the gospel, and how does it fit into the gospel story you know, what does it mean that he had to be baptized? What does it mean for me? How does that fit into my story that is the gospel story? So today we're going to look at that and see just how does Jesus' baptism fit into to our baptism. Now, this, um, when, when Jesus steps on the scene, he's, he's, the first time he stepped on the scene that we really hear from him since he was 12 years old. And at this point, we know from the Luke, Luke's account of this, and by the way, it's interesting that Jesus' birth is talked about in two Gospels out of the four, but Jesus' baptism is talked about in all four Gospels. It doesn't make it more important, but it does make it really important. Um, so we, we have him stepping onto the scene for the first time since he was 12. He's now 30. What's interesting about the, the year 30 is that's when the, the high priest would start their ministry, and that's when Jesus started his ministry. He steps on the scene. The very last time we saw Christ at age 12, what had happened is his mother and father, they, they made a habit of every year going to Jerusalem for the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went to Jerusalem for the Passover. And then when the, the Passover was over, they packed up and they were headed back home. And a day later, Mary said, Joseph, where's Jesus? And, Jesus, and Joseph said, Mary, you were to take care of him. And Mary said, no way. I don't know if they really had that argument or not. But, but they didn't miss Jesus. And they were like, where is he? And it says in the text um, in Luke 2, then they started looking all around and started asking all the friends and family. Well, we could preach a, a, a sermon about community right there uh, because we know in their day, their community was such that they felt comfortable with that Jesus was taken care of, right? Um, but they were missing Jesus. Where is Jesus? So they went a day's journey back to Jerusalem, and it said three days later. I don't know if that three days later means three days after they discovered he was gone uh, or three total days since they had you know, missed him. But either way, they got back to Jerusalem, and that means while they were back in Jerusalem, they looked for Jesus around town for one or two days before they found him. And when they found him, Mary went about scolding him, like, okay, where were you? We've been looking frantically for you for days. And Jesus looked at her like, what? Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? And I think that's really, really interesting, and that's the last we've heard of him. And Jesus said, I had to be about my father's business. And 
So when he steps onto the scene at age 30, what he's telling us is a little bit about what is the father's business that he had to be about. So today, as we look at Jesus' baptism, we're going to talk about what is the father's business in this activity of the baptism. Well, this is uh, when he first comes out at age 30. It's kind of like his inaugural ball. And it reminded me of the president, our presidents, when they come and they have the presidential inauguration. You know, what is that saying? The presidential inauguration is really a time where the president comes out and he's now starting his rule and reign. You know, he's saying, now things will be better. Things will be new. You know, no more deficit within four years or whatever. And he, he starts enacting all the promises that he made during his campaign, right? All the campaign promises. That day, he says, today those promises start. And we know, whether Democrat or Republican, they don't carry those promises out very well, right? The truth is that Jesus makes all these promises. I'm going to be about the Father's business. And then he steps onto the scene, and from that point on, he carries them out perfectly. But he carries them out very differently than what we think um, he's going to do it. Um, So this is his coming out. So that's kind of the background of what's going on before we get to this text. And um, what's happening when we get to this text is John, Jesus' cousin, is preaching and he's telling people, you know, you, there's, there's the Messiah has come. And by the way, you're sinners. And he goes in and like he preaches the gospel and they see their sin. And because they see their sin, they come to John and, to be baptized. And John said, I'm baptizing with water. But the one that comes after me, he, his baptism is really the, the baptism that's going to wash you. Mine's the one that points to that one. And as you're baptized by water and you're enjoined with the baptism by the Holy Spirit that Jesus will do, then, then you're going to be washed from your sins completely and forever. Now, when we talk about being washed from our sins, that, that connects with us somewhat. But these people, they would have understood the ritualistic washings that the high priest had to do year after year after year and before the sacrifices all the time. And to hear somebody say, you know what, you're all going to be washed once and for all, they were like, we want that. And people were coming to John and they were being baptized because they wanted that washing. And yet, he makes one statement about Jesus. He says, I'm not even worthy to take the sandals off his feet. In the context of that, that day, the, the people who were the servants and the lowest would wash the feet of people because they were in like sandals and you know, out on the beach and in the dust, and they got that dirty job. And he said, I'm not even worthy to remove his sandals. That's how great he is. Well, in this story, Jesus comes to John and in the text, it says he comes, and the, the text says, for the very purpose of being baptized. That's what the Greek is saying there. Jesus came for the purpose to be baptized. And John was like, whoa, um, I'm not so sure about this. You know, uh, do you guys have a problem with Jesus coming to be baptized? Have you ever even thought about that question? You know, why did Jesus come to be baptized? If you think about it much, um, we should have a problem with it. And if you have ever asked that question and had a problem with it, you're in good company because John, his cousin, had a big problem with it. John, you know, here's Jesus. He comes, and he's coming for the purpose to be baptized, and John's, like, shocked. And he, he's, Jesus, you know, like, um, whoa, you, you're coming to me for baptism? I'm the one that needs baptism from you. You know, and he goes on, and he's like, Jesus, you know, you, uh, you've never sinned. You know, my baptism is for people who have sinned, to wash away their sin, to point to you who are going to come to really wash away their sin. You're not, you can't come to be baptized because you don't have any sin. 
You can't come to be baptized because you don't even have thoughts that need to be fixed. You know, the, the, the thoughts in your mind don't go to the point of lust and, and, and conceiving and acting on that lust where ours do. You don't need to be transformed. You don't need to be changed. You don't need baptism. And by you coming and being baptized in front of all these people, you're making a statement to them that you're in need like that. And no, no, no. And the text says that, says this, that John was all about preventing him from being baptized. And the word in the Greek means that he kept on preventing him. It's like, no, 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 Jesus, no, you're not doing this. That's what he's saying. And when I read that, it reminded me of another passage where another disciple, a follower of Christ, tried to prevent Jesus from doing the Father's business as well. Anybody have an idea who that is? Peter. Okay. Uh, A little later in the story, Jesus is telling his disciples, I came to do the Father's business. And part of the Father's business is to die. And I feel like a Baptist preacher. I'm just kidding. Part part of the... I grew up Baptist, it's okay. <laughs> um, I, part, part of the reason, I came was to, or the reason I came was to die. And Peter's like, no, no, let me take you aside, Jesus. No, no, you're the Messiah. You came to be king. You came to rule and to reign. You didn't come to die. And that struck at the very purpose of his coming. So much so that Jesus uses the strongest words that he ever, of rebuke that he ever uses to anybody. And he says to Peter, get behind me, Peter. No, he says, get behind me, Satan. For you're trying to prevent me from doing the Father's business. Well, he says the same thing to John in the text that says that he came to John. He said, John, you need to prevent this at this time. I mean, not prevent it. You need to permit it at this time. And um, and then John, after he talks a little bit, John did it. John permitted it. And um, so that's Jesus' response. He had to be about the Father's business. He said, this is why I came. I came to be baptized. I came to do the Father's business. Part of it is being baptized. What does being baptized have to do with the Father's business? That's the question that's really before us in this text today. What what does Jesus' baptism have to do with with his Father's business? His Father's business was all about the gospel. It's all about seeking and saving the lost and winning a bride and winning a people for his own possession. How did the baptism help win you and help win me? How does it go and fit into our story or God's story for us. So Jesus' response is this. Jesus said, you know, you need to permit it to, to be so, so that all righteousness, so that we, us, could fulfill all righteousness. Jesus said, okay, you need to, to permit this. Let me be baptized so that we can fulfill all righteousness. Now, that's kind of, to unpack that would be a whole sermon in itself. So we're just going to hit a few pieces to that, uh, what that really means. But the first thing that, that it means is this. Jesus is saying it's the right thing to do. That's the most simple thing. This is the right thing to do. This is the Father's business. The second part of that, that we have to do this for us to fulfill all righteousness, is really, really a, a deep thing. And um, I'm going to read Hebrews 2.17. Let me read this. Therefore, he had to be made like his brother, brethren in all things, so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest and things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are being tempted. So the very first part of what it means to be about the Father's business and his baptism is Jesus came to identify with sinners. That's the first thing. So number one, what does it mean that he, he was about his Father's business and baptism? Jesus came not because he was a sinner, He didn't come to be baptized because of his own sin. 
But he came to baptism to identify with sinners, and he had to do that in order for all righteousness to be fulfilled. And he says for us to fulfill. So he's saying us, meaning he and John. How is John going to fulfill righteousness? Very quickly, I'm just going to mention two verses that are in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' sermon a little bit later in the text. In Matthew 5, Jesus says this about righteousness. He said, unless you are more righteous than the Pharisees, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you're not going to see me. And then he says this in verse 48 of that same chapter. He said, you and me, what's the requirement and standard? We have to be perfect, even as, the whole, as God is perfect. I don't know about you. I can't do that. I do know about you. You can't do it either. Uh, we can't be holy like that. And if God says, you need to be righteous like that, we need to fulfill the righteousness that's demanded of us in order to see the Father, we have no hope. And Jesus said, my baptism is such that it's going to enable us to fulfill all righteousness. It's going to allow that to happen so that you can see the Father. He had to be identified with us. In Isaiah, all the way back in Isaiah 53, that great passage about the Messiah coming, he says that Jesus, or, or this Messiah, had to be numbered with the transgressors. He had to be counted over here with the sinners, and his baptism was just that, being counted as a sinner to take our sins away. A little later in Isaiah 53, uh, verse 11, it says this, My righteous servant, my righteous servant, which is Christ, shall make many righteous. How will he do that? It says it right in the text, by, by taking away their sin. And Jesus' baptism is his, him identifying with sinners, not because he was a sinner, but identified with sinners that he could take their, their sin away. And he could wash their sin away. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, what, to be sin for us, that we can know his, what, righteousness. All right, now here's some details that are in the story, and there are three, we've got to do it really, really quickly. There's three big details that happen after Jesus is baptized. This could be a whole sermon in itself, and it's not going to be, so don't worry. But some of you will, will think and leave today like, well, why didn't he go through the detail of those things? And we're going to go through a little bit of the detail, just not in detail. Because our point today is to step back and say, why was he baptized? How does it affect us and the gospel? The first thing is how? It's what? He identified with us in his baptism. He identified with sinners. So the first thing that happens as Jesus came forth and he was baptized, the first thing that happens is the heavens were opened, it says in the text. The heavens were, and the, and the Greek there too, is, it, they were split in two. They started tearing. That, that same word is used one other time in the Gospels. One other time in the Gospels. Right after Jesus said, it is finished, what's split in two? The veil between us and God split in two, but it didn't split in two all the way from top to bottom, completely. What is, is that? Oh, oh really? That's kind of cool. No, oh, really? That means we have access to the Father. That means that we have access to the Father. When did, it start? When did this tearing in two start at his baptism? When he identified with sinners, it says the heavens were open to, to Jesus, and at his death, the heavens were open fully to you and to me. After the heavens were open fully at, at this particular story, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes down like a dove and rests on Jesus, empowering him, enabling him to carry out and do the Father's business. Right after that, we hear the Father's words, words of the Father. So the Father from heaven looks down on this 
his, his son stepping out and starting to do his business, identifying with sinners. And he sends him the, the one person in the Godhead, the Spirit, to enable and empower him to accomplish that, that business. And he says something. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So the father looks down and he says, I'm encouraging you and, and, and I'm approving of, of what you're doing and do it, do it. You know, this is, this is our will, this is my will to accomplish this task. Um, and the dove came down and the father spoke. There's one more time in scripture that we have these things all happening together where we have the waters and the spirit coming and the father's voice. And that's in Genesis. Back in Genesis at creation, we have the spirit hovering above the waters. And we have the father's voice coming. He says, and he created all things. And then at that point, a story started a story of the gospel. And the story of the gospel was, I've made all these things for you, as Adam and Eve were created. And he says, I made all this for you. They can freely enjoy me and fellowship with me. And they enjoyed fellowship with him until sin. Then they began, they began having other appetites and, and other issues and, and other problems. Um, but the story was, if, if you keep on and, and you don't eat this fruit, then you're going to have life. The problem is they didn't do that. And the end of our story was, once you eat of this, you shall surely, what? Die. That was our story. That was a bad ending. And Jesus comes to restore, and maybe the better word is to restory our story. And that's what Jesus is doing in baptism. He's coming and he's restoring the end of that story. How is he doing it? First, by, by identifying with sinners. And second, by letting, what? Sinners identify with him and his righteousness. We couldn't fulfill all righteousness, but being identified in Jesus, all of a sudden we can fulfill all righteousness, and we can be one with the Father. And as that happens, what do we get? When we're identified with him, because he's identified with us, what do we get? We get the heavens opened. We have access to the Father. We get the Spirit in Jesus, what? Indwelling us, empowering us to live out the Christian life. Not to live the Christian life in order to get the Spirit, but because we have the Spirit, we live out the Christian life. Because we've been approved, because we have Jesus' righteousness. We don't live it out to get it, we get it and then live it out. Big, big difference in the gospel. And then what do we have? We have the Father's approval. And he looks down on you and I in Christ, and he says, my beloved son, my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased. And that's what we get. And that's the story of Jesus' baptism. And um, what's really interesting is in the story itself, we have two characters that show the application to you and to me. The character of John and the character of Jesus. And John looks at Jesus coming to be baptized, and he's bewildered. He's like, no, no. And he says to Jesus, you in my place and me in your place? And then Jesus, with his mind on the Father's business, with his mind on the baptism to come and the temptation to come and the cross to come. He looks at John and in answer to John's question, me and your place and you and mine, he answers exactly. And that's the gospel. And that's what you and I get in Christ. We get access to the Father. We get Jesus. We get the Spirit. We get enabled to live for him and no longer for ourselves. And that's good news. If you're here today and you're not in union with Christ, the heavens aren't open for you. You don't have access to the Father. 
My prayer for you, if you're not in union with Christ, is you would call out on him and you would say, Jesus, I need to be in your place and I don't have any way to do that. Would you come in my place and take my sin that I could take your righteousness before the Father? And those of you who are are in Christ, I pray that this is a simple gospel message, that, that that you would feast as we look to the table. We're going to be feasting on him. But that you would feast on the truth that he's taken your place that you could take his place. And he started that at baptism, and he finished that at Calvary. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the goodness of your word. We thank you for the stories of your son, the things that he has done and accomplished, the stories that make up the story of the gospel. Father, we thank you that the son came and and feasted on your will, came to do your will. And, Father, he was single-minded, and although he was tempted to be prevented and to, to, to not go through with it and not to carry it out, he carried it out all the way to the cross. And, Father, it's because he carried it out all the way to the cross. And, um, Father, didn't take the temptation from John and Peter and Satan to stop short and take the easy path to glory. And, Father, he, he carried it out so that we could be identified with Christ. And by being identified with Christ and by Christ being identified with our sin, you remove our sin far as the east is to the west and you give us access to the Father, access to the throne of grace. You give us the power to accomplish your will through the Spirit and through, the, through Christ indwelling us. Father, and, and you give us your approval. And Father, we thank you that with your approval we can now live a life that's pleasing before your side. Thank you for that approval. And Father, as we uh, come very shortly to the table, may we feast on you all the more there. We ask these things in Christ's name, amen.